Hi, this is the Catherine Long Show, and I'm Catherine Long. Joining me today is friend and humanistic astrologer, Brian A. Hill, and we are here to talk about astrology and its practical benefits for you. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy. Brian, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And, and for the people out there, this being your first show, knowing you as I come to know you, I look forward to hearing many shows that you're going to do because you are an insightful person and you have questions that are in-depth. And I always like to get into the nitty-gritty and the non the non BS of a situation. So I wish you the best of luck, and I know it's going to be a huge success. Thanks, I look Brian. forward to doing this today with you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, and the same to you. I uh, love our conversations, and I look forward to giving people something that's practical that they can take away today to make their lives better. Um, so to begin with, if you don't mind, just give a little bit of background on yourself and how you came to call yourself a humanistic astrologer. Hmm. This started about 25 years ago. And uh, back at the time, I was in business with myself. I built, built homes and high-rises and things like that. And the, um, the economy was terrible. So essentially, I didn't know what to do with my time. I was looking for different aspects of life. I was confused, like anybody would be during that time. And a friend said to me to go to um, this guy. And I said, well, what does he do? And she says, he's an astrologer. And I looked at her and I said, I don't believe in that crap, all right? But something kind of impelled me to go. So I went and he gave me some information and it was all well and good, but I wasn't really impressed. And about six months pass and still in the same state of economy, so I couldn't go back to doing what I was doing. Um, and I went back to him again. And this time he gave me a little bit more information, but still not a lot. Um, about two months after that, I had my birth chart, and we'll get into what that is, what a birth chart is. But the, I looked at my birth chart, I had no idea what was on this chart. I couldn't read it, I didn't know anything about it. So I borrowed some books and I looked and I said, what is this, what is that symbol, what's this symbol? And I kept reading and reading. And to make, a, the, as they say, the, a long story short, about seven days I came up for air. I read, I don't know how many different books on it. And, and I really saw, wow, this is really incredible. It taught me a lot about myself, the questions that I had asked myself. And, you know, what am I doing? There's two questions, Catherine, as we talked about, that people ask, who am I and what am I doing here? You know, and those are the questions because we're being bombarded with media all over the place telling us who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing here. But until we understand who we are, we can't figure out what we're doing here. And for me, astrology, after 25 years and really literally thousands of clients, right, it is such a wonderful practical tool to understand who you are, and when you find um, a, somebody who could do astrology well, no matter where you're at, right, they could help, under, they could unlock keys in what's going on in your life in a tremendous way. So I just started, the same person 
who asked me, you know, who told me to go to an astrologer, happened to work for a metaphysical bookstore, one of the best in the United States, and um, to talk to the person who owned it. So I, I went, I kept following this little trail of crumbs, you know, that the universe was putting out for me. And um, so I talked to her about astrology and I looked at her chart and gave her some info on her chart. And then she asked me if I would do it in the store, if I would come and do readings in the store. And I laughed at that because I spent another 25 years building high rises and dealing with steel and concrete and all that other stuff. But again, I followed the crumbs. I followed my, my intuitive crumbs. And so I started to read, um, read people at the store doing charts of people. And then they wanted to do longer charts out of the store. And so I had people coming to my house. In a few months, people, I stopped working at the store and people just started coming home. And by word of mouth over all this time, I have no advertising. Um, I have a website out there that I haven't touched in I don't know how long, right? But it's all word of mouth and that's how people come. And I've gotten such a perspective of life, you know, we talked about this, that I love sharing what I learned. My, my gig is I don't want to leave this life and not share as much as I possibly can with people. Excellent. Right? So our conversation today, that's what I have in mind, is is to help people understand more about astrology and how it really, really can help them. You know, it can help individuals, it can help couples, it can help parents with children. There's so many, there's so many, um, I want to say answers, there's so many insights that we could glean off of somebody's birth chart. So that's why I'm sitting here talking to you other than enjoying your company. Thank you. So what is the difference between a birth chart and a death chart? I've never heard of that before, but you mentioned it the other day, and um, I'm just absolutely intrigued. Well, a, what a birth chart is, is, is it's, we, in order to do a birth chart on someone, for me to do your birth chart, I'm going to need your date of birth the time that you were born and the place that you were born. And then from that, right now, luckily, the computers do this very quickly. I wouldn't want to do it by hand. Uh, and it tells, tells me, where tells us, where all the planets were, the exact placement of the planets at the moment of birth and the relationship of the planets to each other. And from that information, I could glean, we could glean so much information, how you think, how, how you feel, uh, your challenges, your gifts, your, your strengths, you know, who are you, um, what makes you different, where are your emotions, all kinds of stuff, what's your path, what's your life path, etc. And it helps, um, you know, like I said, it helps parents understand their children. It's helped, I have clients that, that call me up when they're going to go date somebody for the first time and they give me their birth date. We could save a lot of time that way and a lot of headache. Years ago, I was on a radio show, a uh, country music show. I think I told you this yeah. at one time we talked. And, and um, I would go on there, an astrologer being a country music show, I would go on there once a month from on a Friday, first Friday of the month from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning and they would have call-in shows and the phone lines were absolutely jam-packed and for that particular subject 90% of the callers are all about their love life. Right? 
but we can look at love life, we can look like money life, where you should live, all kinds of information. So it tells us from the moment of birth going forward, it's kind of like, I'll give you a number of metaphors, analogies rather, that it's like your script of life, it's your business plan, being a builder, it's your blueprint. It, it's so many ways to give you clues on how to make your life more viable. Now when I use the term death chart, it's my terminology, you won't find that anyplace else, but, and I've done it a number of times with people. Um, it's not a chart per se, it's, I believe this, and I just, through the years, came to develop it or read it, I forgot where, it's been a long time. But I think we have five windows of opportunity to make our transition, right? Some of us take the first window and that's it, and other people, you know, um, don't take the first window, etc. I'll give you examples. See, one of the things that I could talk about from 25 years, almost 25 years and thousands of charts, a lot of experience with this. I had a, a woman, a, a client, who uh, had cancer and she was really struggling with the cancer. So we sat down and we talked about it and I looked and I could figure out there's um, there's a book called An Ephemeris. An Ephemeris will tell you where the planets are going to be for the next, well, the one I have goes to 2050. So I could tell them what days the planets are going to be where. So what I did was look at her particular chart and see how the planets were moving. And we talked about it, and my perceptions were, is that, yes, she can go now, but I don't think she will go now. All right. I don't think you're going to choose to do that. Now, she's taking chemo and doing all that stuff, right? So it didn't happen. You know, she chose to stay here, which I think it's sometimes we could have a, a willful choice to stay. But she didn't go that time. But there, were, there was another time later on that there was another window, a planetary window to go out. And, and that's when she did it, all right? There was, and I don't do this with everyone because it's a real sensitive, you can imagine how sensitive it is. Um, I had a very good friend who really understands what, what I do and how I do it. And he had a buddy who was, he was in the hospital and he was, you know, he was looking, death was not imminent, but it was, you know, real, real close. And my friend asked me, you got to tell me when you see him leaving. And I looked, and because he knew who I was, I said to him, this is when I think he's going to go in this particular time period. And I gave him not only the day, I gave him a time reference in the day. And he went during that time, and that time reference and that stuff. So we, we, have, an, we have an ingress to be in human, and we have an egress to be in human. Um, and so we're going through my sense, we're going to go through the biggest death boom in the history of civilization. We are. We've begun it already because of the baby boomers, you know. And so because of the death boom, we're going to go through the biggest spiritual boom in the history of civilization because people are going to be really freaking out. Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell if they believe in this stuff? It's the end of life. Is there a God? Is there all so many questions to go through here? So people, it really gives people an opportunity to answer those questions to themselves. Who am I? And if you're on your, on your last legs here, who am I? Still they're saying, man, what the hell did I do here? And what can I do here for the remaining time that we have? If you talk to boomers, 
all right, that are getting older. Uh, there's a particular thing in astrology called the second Saturn returns. How Saturn comes around every 29 and a half years, or say 30 years, comes around. So the second time it's coming around is around 60 years old, and people are realizing they're running out of time. What am I going to do here? How, how am I going to live the rest of my life? You know, uh, so many questions, and I call that the the third period of life. I look at it like a hockey game. You know, like I'm like I like sports. So in hockey, there's three periods. So people who are boomers are in the third period of their life, asking questions that people in their second period don't even have. You know, mm -hmm. so astrology is a, to me. I'm a practical guy, like you and I talked. Um, and in dealing, building high rises, I got to have the steel right. I got to get the concrete right. I got to get everything right. So if astrology wasn't practical, and I am a Capricorn, by the way, so that's a practical part of this thing. I, I want practical information that I could help people with talk to. Mm -hmm. so, so somebody who's in that third period of their life, mm -hmm. um, if they were to come to you and ask you how they can make sense of the journey from here on out, mm -hmm. um, how do you treat their chart? How do you look at their chart? Um, as opposed to somebody that's in the first period. Um, because all the information is still the same in the chart, right? It's just how do you interpret that? Well, when... Um, let's go even in the first period of life. Mm -hmm. I, help, I help parents with their children, right? Now the child has the whole, the whole life to go, hopefully, right? So the chart is sitting there. We have the same chart at the end of our life that we do in the beginning. It doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't change. So what I help parents do is I want, we have a particular love style, all right? That means it's how we give love, how we want to receive love. And there, there is, from, an, from an astrological position, there are 12 love styles. You know, if you've ever dated someone and, and you say to them, you, you go, you just don't get me, right? They, they're not getting you. They're not getting your love style. They're not doing it. So the, the, a child has a love style. And, and this is how they receive nurturance. They have a style, communication style. I help the parents understand. They might not have the same styles of communication. So in the beginning of it, I give the parents what they could use to help benefit them and benefit the child in raising the child. I don't get into careers and it's too soon, mm -hmm. right? I'm just using the beginnings of this stuff. Now, if we then extrapolate and go to the end of the chart, if somebody's 60 years old, they've lived 60 years. So a lot of experience has then been garnered in that chart. So in order to, to develop um, a trust between myself and the client, I go back and I look and see this and I bring up, this is how you think, this is how you feel, here's experiences that you might have had, etc., etc. So that I want to get on the same page with them on how their 60 years went. So they know we're on the same page and I know who they are. Then we want to take that being, and here, here's, here's a key to that, to that point of being 60. Some people haven't woken up yet. They're just not aware. They might be struggling to wake up and make sense of everything. But once you help them go, aha, that's why I did this. 
yes, this is this is how I did. This is how, where my life's journey has taken me. And they start to understand the why and what they love to do, what there's enjoyment to do. Um, then we could get into the third period and go, okay, this is who you are. How do you want to live this now, All right? And we could go to various planetary influences like what do they love to do so many people know what they love to do and they don't do it they get trapped in a prison of false security I hear that's what I call it all right I for instance I had a guy who was who was in his mid-40s bright guy and he was an IT salesman you know selling some kind of computer stuff and uh, doing really, really well. Uh, nice car, nice clothes, nice lifestyle, and unhappy as all get out. And I asked him, I said, what do you, I, what do you want, really want to do? And he looked at me and his eyes started to well up and he says, I don't know, I don't know. And I looked at his chart and a lot of my sessions from the chart are intuitive. I get information off the chart. And I said to him, have you ever heard of a man by the name of David McCullough? And he looked at me and he started crying and he said, I want to be David McCullough. Now, many people don't have a clue who David McCullough is. It's okay. David McCullough is a Pulitzer Prize winner. He's a writer. He's written, he's won two Pulitzer Prizes. He writes narrative history, so he makes history come alive. And this young man that I was talking to, he loves naval history and he wants to write naval narrative history. And he's selling IT info, whatever he's doing at the, at the thing. And he just, that we could glean that information off the chart, okay? Now it doesn't sit on the chart in, 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 in English, excuse me. It comes through me in an intuitive way. And I get that's part of who I am and what I do with the chart. The chart is a tool. You and I had this conversation. Astrology is a tool to help us live our life. Um, that's how I see it. And when we can understand what that tool is, another way of looking at the tool is suppose your life was written, written down in French, not English. And you don't speak French. Well, you go find somebody that could read French and they read it. Well, astrology is a language. It's a cosmic language. And I just happen to be gifted with being able to read that language. And that is the, would you say that that is the, um, the mission that you have from here on out in this phase of your life? Your mission is to really embrace this and use this for others. Because it, it seems like you've kind of got your own thing figured out to a large degree. You're living a life that's meaningful for you, enjoyable for you. And now is your life more or less one of service? My life, yeah. I mean, there's two things that I, I look at that I love. I love to learn. And I love to ask why we have good conversations is we have great questions. Well, you know, my question is, what my question was, who am I and what was I doing here? Like I was a builder for all those years. It was part of me, but it didn't, it didn't dance with my soul, you know. What I have been doing since I've been doing astrology, it dances with my soul. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to learn and to share. My, a personal, very quick personal part of my story, growing up, 
my parents didn't read. They didn't, you know, I, I don't know if my mother graduated from school. I, I, my father claims he did. I don't know what he did. But they didn't have answers that I needed. There was no guidance for me. I had to figure it out all as I was going, you know. Um, I won't get into all the personal vignettes. But, but my point is, is that I, I have a gift. I didn't ask for this astrology gift. I really didn't. It was like a guy walking down the street, looks at a guitar, goes, what's this, picks it up and starts playing. All right. It was really gifted to me by not me. Um, so I want to use that gift to help people with their lives so that they live their lives in a better way. And right now, as I'm living this, sitting here talking with you, I'm having the, the best parts of my life. And I look forward to going, mm -hmm. you know, forward with this. I, I'm in that third period of life, right? So I've garnered so much wisdom, so much experience, so much um, interaction with sharing people's lives. Uh, I, I want to do something with that. Mm -hmm. And um, you do. And so, Backing up a little bit, you've got this tool, this this tool called astrology. You have your own intuition and your own relationship with it. But how do you see overall the, the planets dancing? Uh, I think you, you said something about uh, planets do a dance, and you mm -hmm. talk about astrology dancing with your soul. Um, I've heard uh, the expression music of the spheres. Mm -hmm. Um, how, what is your overall picture, your cosmological view of astrology, its purpose, how mm -hmm. it works, okay. without getting bogged down in the details, but just um, overall, what does that look like? Why, why is it a thing at all? And is it something that's, uh, something that's liberating or something that is actually um, overriding our free will? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to keep that short, but we'll, I'll try. Okay. <laughs> right? I don't know how we're going to keep... This is how I've come to understand astrology. Science claims, um, I've heard it from uh, St Stephen Hawking, right? The mm -hmm. Beef History of Time, yep. the brilliant astrophysicist. He said um, he was asked one time to divine the universe in one word, and the person... Uh, that was asking, thought he was going to answer in love because they were metaphysical and etc. And he, and he, out of his voice box, he said, "The universe is in perfect order, order, perfect order, right? And and it certainly is. If if we look at the planets, the Earth's been here for four and a half billion years. Why doesn't it crash into something else? Why does the sun show up every day?" You know, we have all these huge, huge spheres that stay in synchronistic order all the time. So if we take just our solar system and we go out, but we look at the universe in a whole, the universe is started on a Big Bang, right? The Big Bang theory is the current theory of the universe. Mm -hmm. And it starts from a single atom, right? And one of the, the things that science has proven that the universe has intelligence. There's intelligence all over this place. So that intelligence was lodged in that Big Bang. The question is, where did the Big Bang come from? All right. And that we could go to a spiritual component. It's the only answer that's given right now. And so the Big Bang goes out, and, and I don't believe it was an explosion. I believe it was an implosion. We're still in the 
in the womb of that bang, right? Um, and the planets, if we just call it source, source intelligence, all right? You could call it God if you want, you could call it whatever you want. Let's just call it source intelligence, all right? I believe that the planets were formed, all right, by source intelligence. I liken them as gifts from source to help us live our life. I liken them to big utility companies in the sky. Then the big utility companies in the sky have a function, just like if we want if we want the lights on in our house, we better have an account with with the power company. If we're on a water line, we better have an account with the water line, etc. Sewer line, all the utilities, right? We don't call up the water company and say my lights are out. So each one of these planets have their own utility, their own function. If I say Venus to you, what do you think of? Love. Love. Mm -hmm. Venus's function is one of love. All right. It radiant. I'll get to how it works in a minute. But if we think of, we we know for a fact when the moon is full, people go a little wackadoodle. The police put more guys on the street. The hospitals uh, gather up more staff. We know that the moon is an emotional body. We get emotional. The moon rules our emotions. All right. Mercury, Mercury is a planet, remember the winged messenger? It's a planet of communication. So all these planets have functions, and they're sending down their rays. Now this is how my perception of what makes sense to me. The sun, the sun is 93 million miles away at various times. It's between 90 and 93 million, depending upon orbit, our orbit. Um, we feel those rays. We live by those rays. We see by those rays, etc. If we don't have the energy of the sun, we don't exist on the planet. So that we could look at as the major utility company that we have in the in the zodiac. Now those rays reach us all the way. We can look out and see the ray coming through the window, and you think about it, 93 million miles away. That's coming from. That's mind-boggling. I forgot one time. Uh, from the Earth to the Sun, if we went 70 miles an hour, non-stopped, it would take us like, I forget what, I wrote it down, it would take us like three complete lifetimes of non-stop driving to reach the Sun. But its rays are coming to us every day. Now there are other planets up there, and they're big. Jupiter's 12 times the size of the Earth. Saturn's 11. Uh, Venus is the same size as the Earth. And science tells us a lot about the planets, that they, um, whether they're made up of gases and rocks or what kinds of gases and what to infinitesimal percentages of gases. They tell us a lot about them, but science doesn't tell us what they're doing there. So that's my previous statement, is I think they give some source to help us live our life. And they send their rays down to us just like the sun does. Now, because they're not, they're big, but they're not as big as the sun. We could fit like a million Earths in the sun, right? So by the time that ray reaches us down on planet Earth, it's beyond our sensate world. We can't, science can't count it, touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it, so that it doesn't exist. They can't measure it, they can't do anything with it. Now, a way to look at it is this way. Just imagine sitting in your car, you're at a red light, right? Somebody pulls up about five cars back, and they're playing their boombox, they're playing their radio, their blaster, whatever you want to call it. 
we not only hear the music, we can feel the vibrations of that music, right? Sun's vibrations, Venus's vibrations, cars' vibrations, vibrations of vibrations. It's science. They're waves, right? Now, imagine the light turns green. You pull away, and the guy can't get his car started. The boombox is still playing. And the farther you go away from that, right, the less and less you're going to feel physically the vibration. Does that mean the vibration's not there? Of course not. Right. Mm -hmm. And the vibrations from the planets are, are coming down. So what we do, they all have the functions of life. Just, uh, we have a planet for thinking, Mercury. We have a planet for feeling, Moon. Mercury is, Mercury is the thinking. Venus is for loving. Mars is for action. The sun is for being. We can't be. That's why you say, I am a whatever the sign that you might say. Mm -hmm. right? For you, you say, I am a Leo. I say, I am a Capricorn. That's my sun sign. So every day, these vibrations reach us, and we function off of them. All right? We think, we feel, we love. Did, did you ever meet somebody that you're really attractive to? Well, if you look at their chart, if you look at the other person's chart, the vibratory frequencies of the signs are the same. So you mentioned the sun signs, mm -hmm. but the moon signs don't get that much attention. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about relationships and you talk about that kind of mm -hmm. relating, that kind of chemistry, does that come about in your experience? Absolutely. If, if the moon signs incredibly important, mm -hmm. incredibly important. If you, if you think of pyramid, right? And if you take the top 10% of that pyramid and just draw, that's your sun sign. The bottom 90%, I'm just giving you metaphorical numbers, all right? The bottom 90% is your moon sign. And what we want to do, if you draw a line between the sun and the moon on the pyramid, we want to keep moving that line down, 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 so we eventually are 100% our sun sign. No, I don't think we ever get there. But the moon encompasses a composite of past life energies, our, our, our subconscious energies that we brought through with us. This is the theory that comes here. So the, when I get to know somebody, I want, I want to know their moon sign, all right? Because I'm dealing with their subconscious. I'm not dealing, then I know who they are. So when people come to me and they say, who am I? Who, you know, is this compatible with me? I don't look at the sun signs right away. I go right to the moon signs. Because we deal with a lot, much of our life we deal with is such on a subconscious level. And that those, this is why when you meet somebody, you know them. Well, the moon signs are probably compatible. All right? And you could feel it. And, and the moon, the moon is, is a way of understanding ourselves at a deeper level we're growing into our sun sign. We are our moon sign. Carl Jung, uh, the brilliant psychoanalyst, when he was older, when he was a boomer, he, he found astrology. And he said if he had to do over again, he would study astrology because it gets to the psyche and the soul a whole lot quicker. And he, he coined the phrase the collective unconscious. And what he found astrologically is the moon is the body of the collective unconscious. This is why when you like somebody, our unconscious or subconscious relate. We get along here. Um, and he, he did this vast study of, of uh, happily married couples. And he found that the moon is the body. 
that when it's compatible, the marriages have more of a chance of working than not. It's, and we don't have, we, from our astrological jargon, our limited astrological jargon out there in mass society, we don't have any clue upon that. Do you think most astrologers, and I know that you can't speak for most astrologers, but is, is it your sense that most astrologers don't operate from this point of view, or they do? Um, I can't, you know, honestly, I mean, that, um, I think I've spoken to maybe two astrologers in my whole life. <laughs> I've, I've, um, I've, I read a while ago, and I'm not comparing him to me, but Einstein never hung out with other scientists. And what he said about it, he didn't want any of their thoughts and stuff to infiltrate how he thinks and who he is and how he bees, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I, when I was in the beginning of the years, and even now, how I do it, I would uh, tentatively do someone's chart. If somebody was coming for a reading, I would have three, four hours of study on their chart before they came to me. And I'd have the notes right in front of me when they came, right? Um, and some people, generally I had about eight pages of notes. The most I had was like 14 pages. And I just turned them and looked at them, and etc. cetera. And um, one day a lady wanted to come for a reading and um, she was flying out of town and I didn't have three, four hours of study, and she says I could be there in an hour, and I, rem- I said, okay, and she came, and that's the day my intuition kicked in like a rocket, and so well, whatever I've learned, you know, is large in me as, as an intuitive stuff. And how do, you, how do you think of intuition? How would you... What's your sense of what that means? Best definition I ever heard of is soul's guidance. Soul's guidance. Yeah. Yogananda, I think it was in the autobiography, Yogi brought that up, and he speaks about astrologers in there too. Um, but as soon as I saw it, I know I have this thing. I can't say I'm always right. That would be ridiculous. But when I get a particular hit on something, boy, it larges in there. It's so strong. And when I saw his, his soul's guidance, I knew it was right. And, and, and it's, the soul has no time reference. You know, we have, we have uh, the conscious mind knows what it knows because of the past or the present. It doesn't know the future, all right? It doesn't know, you know, it only knows uh, this lifetime, this conscious lifetime. But the soul knows everything. You know, and what we struggle for is why, why we're here and we go through all these thought gyrations to find the answer. And a lot of times it's, it's only the soul is the one that's going to let us know what's going on, and that comes through the intuition. People have goals and they have dreams and they have all this stuff. Are, are they unified with their soul? Is that what the soul wants, how the soul wants to express? We are souls. We're just be the carriage of our personality is just a carriage in this lifetime. So intuition to me is um, everybody has it. Not everybody's on the same level of journey in, in this incarnation. So some have it already innately developed a whole lot more, and some are developing it. Um, I went to my first experience. I went to a, a, a psychic. I'm looking for answers. This is when my building business was gone. I'm trying to find ways of doing it. 
and she told, she was very good. She was really good, and she and she told me about um, about how I've trained my mind so well. The guides are very pleased with it, but my gift is not my mind. The gift is my intuition. And she said, it'll come to you. And I said, when is it going to get here? I want my gift, you know, whatever it is, because I was struggling at the time. And she says, it'll show up in your hands. And I go, when? She says, when it'll show up, it'll take a little bit of time to do it. So I remember sitting in the movies. I was in the movie theater. And all of a sudden, my hands, this is three years later, my hands started to feel like they were on fire. They, were, they didn't hurt. It was like tingling all through my hands. And then all of a sudden I was getting rushes of information, etc. So when and going back to here, going back to astrology, um, she, I'll interrupt myself. Sorry about that. But the same psychic came to me for astrological reasons after I got into astrology. Right? It was really a wonderful uh, thing to see her again. Um, but astrologically speaking, we could look on a chart and I could see how much depth of intuition somebody has. And they should stop relying upon their thinking and get with their intuition. How many people override their intuition? You, you know, I, should be do I just get a feeling I should be doing this. And you go, ah, and you override it. And then you get into a world of hurt because you override your intuition. It could be as simple as going driving down the street and you get an intuitive hit to turn here. But I don't always go that way. This is the way, and turn here, and you don't follow the intuition, and you come kind of to a roadblock, and you should have followed it. Or how many times did you get in a, you meet somebody, you, you, you're infatuated with them, your intuition is telling you, uh-uh, don't do that, don't do that. You do it anyway. You know, we all have it. We all listen. You can call it that little voice inside of us. All right? And the little voice is different. It feels different than when you're thinking. If you're thinking, where do you feel it? You feel it in your head, right? That little voice is down in your gut someplace. It could be in your throat or wherever it is, you know? But it's in the body. It's in the body. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not in the mind. A while ago, I learned I'm never going to... I'm at a point where, and this isn't by any chance to say, and I'm so brilliant, but I understood that my mind is, has taken me as far as it's going to take me. There's a limitation to that. There's no, no limitation to the intuition. So how does that relate to imagination then? If there's no limit to the soul, there's no limit to, um, to us and our actual beingness. Um, what, is your, what is your take on imagination and its usefulness in in our lives, our practical... Well, there's, there's a couple of different kinds of imaginative usage. One's creative, mm -hmm. you know. Um, the imagination, the way that I look at the imagination, it's like the coming attractions of life. Like you go to the movies and you see the coming attractions, right? And, and you could look up and see this, the coming attractions of my life. And there's two ways of doing that. You could visualize, people say visualizing, and you use your imagination to visualize, right? But the thing that we don't add with the visualization is that it's a mental exercise, right? And there's another terminology called visualizing, 
It's a little bit different. And I believe that the, the, the source of the pure imagination is in your intuition. It's call it your heart, call it whatever, your soul. All that's kind of wrapped into the same vernacular. Right? So that the imagination holds where we're going to go. It's the, it's the, it's if we tap into our, or excuse me, our intuition and our soul wants to express itself in this lifetime, if we're listening to it, things happen quickly. If we're not listening to it, we can visualize all we want and it doesn't, and we stumble on it. But when you combine that soul's intuition guidance with the visualization, that's where, that's when we're in sync. It's, we have the mind, right? The mind is masculine. The, the soul and the heart are feminine. Same verbiage in the way we use them. If, and when we bring, if we're just trying to do it with our mind, it ain't happening. We have to bring in the feeling nature. We have to bring in the woman. Um, um, I believe that the soul, what I just said, I believe that the soul is feminine. We can't go get God. We can't go achieve God. We can't do that. We have to be open. Just like in, in, in Zen, be an empty cup and then prepare to receive. And if we learn, that's why our people going back to who am I and what am I doing here, when they're trying to take input from all other sources, you should be an accountant, you should, 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 shoulds. I hate the word should. Right? I, I have one child, a daughter, I told her her whole life, I don't, I don't want to hear what you should do. I don't want to hear what you have to do. I don't want to hear what you ought to do. I want to hear what you want to do. Right? What's your heart say? It's, it's a big one, huge one. After thousands of people, it's huge. Oh, I'm so glad that you're a parent. <laughs> I'm sure your, your daughter is too. Um, you know, in your book, The Ace of Wands, I know that it's a, a fictional book, but there were some really heavy things in my mind, uh, that you brought in there that were really valuable. And there's a point where there's a, a thank you mantra. Mm -hmm. Thank you three times. Um, and I was wondering if you would share a little bit more about that, maybe just expound how that came to you and, and, and if there's any kind of value in actually practicing those kinds of mantras. The, um, the, the word, the thank you came, there was a Christian mystic back in the 13th century, Meister Eckhart. And I was in a, um, in like a uh, non-denominational church. It was really, it was in Asheville. It was really cool church. I mean, they, they honored all kinds of religions. And they had a, um, a, uh, a drapery that was coming down and it was a quote of Meister Eckhart. And the quote was, if the only prayer we'd ever say would be thank you, it would suffice. All right? And that touched me. I thought he was a brilliant guy. Not just for that, but I read more stuff. So my thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's in the book. All right. The first thank you is for the awareness of source or God or the infinite. Just to have thank you for being Thank you for being my recognition of who you are. My second thank you is of unification. All right, we are we're um, an individual expression of that source. You know, like we're different terminologies. We're children of God. 
all right? We're the expression of God, and everyone is expressing in a different way. So the second thank you is to thank that I'm part of that, all right? That I unify with that source of power, right? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We can say that for the second thank you. I am, I am here. I am part of you. I am an expression of you. That's really who we are. And the third one, the third thank you, is the process of how we co-create. Because that source is in us, but we're the governor of how that source comes through us. And when we bring, it's one of the things that uh, the book, The Secret, remember that? Right. The, uh, the Secret never touched upon this. Never touched upon the power of what's going on. The power, that's, the power of those first two thank yous. Never touched on that. And when we're unified from this, uh, there was a, a phrase you know, that we all heard, um, all things are possible through God. Right? So when we're, go back to what I said, when we feel our soul, how our soul wants to express, right, and we honor that expression, and we trust how Source helps us get there, that's the third thank you. So when, we're, when I feel when I'm aligned with my true desire, people have desires of all kinds of things, all right? But there's a true desire. The word desire comes from either of or from the Father. So when you know, did you ever want something I used to call a pure, just a pure desire? And it comes quickly. But if we have an ego desire, we could trip all over the place and not get it. So my thank you, my three thank yous, the prayer is, is, is a thank you for the recognition of spirit. All right? Thank you for, for the unification of me being part of spirit. And thank you, the third one is for allowing me to, express, to be the vehicle for the expression of how spirit wants to come through. Wow, that's, uh, that's gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that with Thank me. Thank you. Um, in your book also, there's a part where you, you refer to happy ending. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a little bit different in your book than most people understand that. Um, would you touch on what happy ending is in the book and mm -hmm. how that um, can be used for creative purposes, mm -hmm. practical purposes? Um, Happy ending, we get the terminology from the movies and the stories, obviously, right? Um, but we have objectives. Um, in, in, the, in the book, uh, he's going through, Jake Shaw is going through a challenge, you know? And his happy ending is that he wants, he, he wants his house, he wants to keep his house, he wants to keep his kid, you know, all kinds of whatever it is. The book is about how to use, in a general sense, how to use our spirituality, how to make spirituality practical. So the happy ending is just a metaphor for um, coming, it could be as simple as you want a new car. Your happy ending is driving that car out of the lot when you get it, right? Um, it could be obviously grander than that, or not to diminish that, but it could be about all things. And I think that, that, there, that the happy ending, for me, the, the ultimate happy ending, is knowing I'm doing all that I can to express the spirit that's through me and how I've come here. 
we all have, I don't think, I don't think we're uh, the term created equal. Uh, I'm not with that. We're certainly not born equal, all right, in terms of terminology. And why do I say we're not created equal? It's because um, there's no way in, in, in an equal sense that I want to be an accountant, okay? I'm not going to be an accountant or I'm not going to be other things. I am going to be who I am. So we're all created in a way, I believe, that we have these same skills that go with us from lifetimes to lifetimes. And we have different journeys and different incarnations. So to, to look at it and to, uh, the happy ending is different for different people. Mm -hmm. And you can't have a happy ending if you don't really know who you are. Because how do you know you're having a happy ending? Mm -hmm. In, in the story, Jake um, is instructed by the mystical teacher mm -hmm. um, that uh, his job is really to focus on the happy ending, to really embody mm -hmm. that as much as he can yes. now, as though it's now, not some future mm -hmm. event. Um, but what does it feel like? Mm -hmm. What does it smell like? How, what is it like internally? Right. All of that. To really... Um, to allow yourself that meditation mm -hmm. and focus completely on what it is that, that you want, what yeah. is it that you desire with a capital D, yeah. to the exclusion of everything else. To the exclusion of worry, to the exclusion of how is this going to get done. We trip over the how. Yeah. Um, we, we have to figure out, people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it, and I'll see it, and you'll believe it. You've heard that. We are human beings, we're not human doings. Being a human being, we are a vibrational entity, all right? We're a vibration. So if I say, if, if I say I want this, this is my happy ending, and I'm vibrating in my, in my feeling nature that I can't, I'm never going to be able to have that, it's, it's discordant. I can't have it. And one of the, if we could go to the Bible for a second, one of the, the really brilliant uh, verses in the Bible is Hebrews 11.1. 1. <coughs> Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Right? Two parts. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Our hope for is our desire. Right? So hope for this, excuse me, uh, hope for is the fulfillment of our desire. Right? Faith is the substance of what we want. So what's the substance? You know how um, the best way to, to make the analogy is if you want somebody, you're in love with someone and you want them to be your person. Okay? Um, there's a particular striving for that. But there's a different feeling after you they become your person, right? So faith is the substance. The substance is the vibration of already having it. So we step into the vibration of already having it, and then the, 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 the bottom line of the universe is, from a human perspective, is as within, so without. Right? If we want to call it the law of attraction, we do. I don't like the terminology, because in the methodology of it, it's really the law of radiation. How we radiate it. Because if we're not radiating concomitantly with what our desire, we're not going to get it. Right? And the second part of the, the faith is the substance. It's the evidence of things unseen. 
How do you feel if you know darn well that check's in the mail, but you can't see it? Right? So when we're feeling our desire already fulfilled, that's our evidence. We know it's got to come. So in the book you said, true has a tone, a feeling different than expectation. True feels solid. Mm-hmm. It's like a done deed. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard anything like that before, but I really get that. I really grok mm-hmm. that. And I, I love how succinctly you put that. And I like how you... Um, presented this as a fictional story so it's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Everybody can see a bit of themselves in this story. Um, and I really appreciate how you articulate that it's important to to test rather than try. Uh, so many people in, uh, in my line of work struggle with, uh, with things and they say, I'm trying, I try, I try. Mm-hmm. And to me, try implies failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, don't, you don't try to get up in the morning, you just get up, you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're always going to be successful in your endeavors, of course. But there is a difference, just a very subtle but powerful difference um, between the word test mm-hmm. and try, mm-hmm. um, between um, uh, so many things. You have an interest in etymology and and the origin of words, which I appreciate deeply. And you uh, explore the word pretend in your story um, mm-hmm. in a way that I haven't seen presented, but it's so obvious, it's hiding in plain sight, mm-hmm. this word pretend. And it's dismissed as being uh, childish, Mm-hmm. Um, and um, almost insignificant, but you've taken it back and you've looked at it more clearly. And what is? Would you mind explaining what you think? Sure. And just like you said, to to emphasize it, whereas kids were told, "Don't pretend," you know. But if we do look at the word, it's divided into a prefix and a word. And tend is is to to, to attend to something, to work at something. And the, we use that normally in the garden. We're going to go tend the garden. That's sort of how we express it. We don't express it too many other places like that. You know, we're going to go tend to the dishes or something. We don't use it, but it's tending in the garden. So even if we take the metaphor of the garden, what the, the garden, the physical part of being in the garden, and the metaphysical garden is another way. But just look at tending, right? And if we look at pre. Pre is a, a prefix that comes before something. So if we look at the word pretend, what we do before we go in the garden, we stop and we think of what we want to plant. Do we want roses? Do we want tulips? Do we want carrots? What do we want in that? So before we go to work, physically, we know what we're planting. And think of the, the metaphysical connotations of that. Right? If we first own the garden, own the harvest, we've got all the work done. You know? Then we just go and, and follow through with the mechanics of it. And I believe since, since we are spirit expressing, right, that the how, we have to move our feet. Okay? This is how, having my daughter, you said, glad I'm a parent, right? I, I thought of my daughter, and, and if... Um, I had a gazillion dollars, right? I would go to my daughter and I would say, I have a gazillion dollars and you can have anything you want. Right. And, but I got a couple of criteria here. The first criteria is that you're going to have to tell me what you want. 
right? So you're going to have to go in and see how, what you want, what's pure desires going through that. So you tell me, because I'm not going to override you. you know? And the second one is, I would really like you to believe me that I'm going to give it to you. Right? Because if you say, Dad, yeah, I know you can do that, but you're not going to do that. Right? How does that feel? How does it feel to you? How does it feel to me? It doesn't feel real cool. Right? And the third criteria is because, like, my daughter lives in North Carolina, right? So um, I live here now in Arizona. So she's far away. So suppose she, whatever she wants, she wants X, Y, Z. Um, and let's discount Amazon or even include Amazon in this thing. I don't like to go shopping, right? So I'm going to give you the energy to go get it. The energy in, in a spiritual sense is money, okay? It's the spiritual component. Is I'm going to give you, but you've got to go out in the world and you've got to go shop for it and do it. So that's the human part of the doing, right? And then one last thing. Um, I want you just to have some gratitude, you know? Have some gratitude, just have some thanks in that whole thing. And that goes back to my thank you, thank you, thank you, you know? Um, and, and so it's looking at it and, and going, in some metaphysical uh, organizations, the phraseology is you treat and move your feet, okay? You gotta go do it, but it takes the, the how is tricky because people want to know how. And most of the magic in life isn't in our mental how. Nothing that I was thinking this the other day, there has not been one thing in my life that's been of major importance to me that I planned. Awesome well, to point about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. all come about through whatever it might be. Okay. So it's like our job is to prepare ourselves for the reception. That's it. All right? And let, let the infinite intelligence of the universe, of which I am part of, that second thank you, right? It, it's a whole lot smarter than I am, right? And how, how do you meet people? How, how are we sitting here talking, doing this? Right? I don't know. But if I would have said, gee, I want to do a podcast with some lady who asks tremendous questions, right, and has a depth of insight and everything, and I went out looking for her, you know, this is a whole lot easier. It's more fun. So you talk about desire, and people have this idea, oftentimes, that desires are bad. Mm -hmm. They're sinful. Buddha warned us. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're saying, no, hold on, back up there. It's don't lump all desires in together. Desire is actually a call. It can be. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you tell the difference between a lowercase and, a, and an uppercase desire? That, that's, that's, it feels pure. It feels mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. it, feels like, uh, it feels like you're getting energy. It's coming through you. It also It's also easier. It shows up quicker, you know. The, the, the Buddha thing, yeah, I, I spent some time wrestling with that. My thing is, is that, that what they say, it's the attachment to the desire. It's the attachment to, I need a Porsche, you know, or I need whatever I need. It's like, if I don't have that, that's going to make it, all right? It, it 
has nothing to do with the expression of source through us, you know. And if I go back to as a, as a father, right, I want the best for my daughter, and and source wants to express through us in ways it's abundance, it's joyful. Or the sources, if I could remember it, uh, love, peace, power, beauty, joy, and abundance. Seven qualities of, of that, you know. Um, so when we listen, when we meditate and listen, our desires will speak to us. And quite frankly, they're a whole lot better than what we could conjure up. Mm. So then what about doubt and worry? Where do those come from? I have, I have this phrase about doubt, all right? It, my, my phrase is, if we live in doubt, we'll do without, mm. all right? And what worry does, it's the lack of faith. It's the opposite of faith. Right? Uh, actually, there, there's no positive or negative of faith. I can believe that bad things are going to happen, and that's just as much faith as not. So faith, worry is the misuse of the energy of faith, all right? Worrying is like... Um, I had a 19-year-old client, a young lady, just brilliant, but she was, a lot of times I find people who are really smart worry because they have so many things in their head to worry about. And, and um, I stopped the session, I was doing it in the house, and I said, come with me. And we went, and I got a watering can, uh, and I filled the watering can up, like for flowers, and we went out to the front yard. And I said to her, what, what are those things over there? And she looked at me, she was puzzled what I was doing. And, and she, I pointed to them, she, she looked at me, she says, they're weeds. And I said, what are those over there? And she said, flowers. I said, what are the weeds? And she said, why? Why not? What are the weeds? She says, I'd rather water the flowers. I said, okay, exactly, all right. When we give energy, i.e. the water, we water that which we don't want. We give energy to what we don't want. So we're watering weeds, right? So we, if we go, whoa, and we, can, we know what worry feels like. We know what doubt feels like. So the, there's a, a little thing that, uh, that I suggest people do. It's imagine you go on kayak, and you take the kayak and you're going to put it in the river, right? And you want to put the kayak in the river and get in it. And the kayak is rushing downstream. Does it make any sense to put the kayak in the water and paddle upstream? No. But what we do so often, worry is paddling upstream, what we don't want. And we can feel the difference. The paddling is upstream, it's not going with our own flow. Worry is not going with our own flow. But we have, we have heritages and cultures that say, I, I love you, I'm worried about you. And, and in fact, I'll give you another daughter's story. My, my daughter's um, mom has a tendency to worry a lot. And um, my daughter said to me, I forget what it was, it was a number of years ago, a long time, she says, I'm worried about you. And I said, don't, let's have a serious talk here. Don't bring me that juju. I don't want that juju. If you if you really want to benefit me, see me smiling and happy, and that's what you want to do. You know, it's almost like a, a curse. It's um, a good way of putting it. You know, I know that when I've been told uh, here and there by a parent or something, I'm worried about you. The way that I receive that is, oh, you don't have enough faith in me 
to mm-hmm. do what I need right. to do. Uh, it, it felt um, disempowering and insulting, belittling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that from my own experience that when someone worries about me, mm-hmm. um, I, it's almost an insult. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's really interesting the way that you see that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for bringing up the book. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was a, a really quick, easy read, and it had some very uh, deep takeaway mm-hmm. things that I'm still, um, I'm still thinking about and still um, enchanted by. There's a quote in there that you say, "Your essence of being resides in your special gift, and in its harvest lies the fulfillment of your life." And I absolutely adore that. Thank you. And I wonder, do you think that everybody has a unique gift? Well, let's look at the word unique. Okay. All right. Um, because there are singers that have beautiful, and there's many singers, there's many kind of athletes. There's, they, they have gifts. And why, if we use the word unique, it means it's different than anybody else's. Um, and in a way it is unique, but in a, we're looking for something really different. And what becomes unique is the expression of how we do it. As a, as a writer, you look, I look at different writers and they write so much differently. And if we're looking to be unique, well, if we go back to Shakespeare, Shakespeare wrote about it all. But we're writing in our vibration, that's what's unique to us. Right. And yes, then it's unique. You can make two people can be sitting here making doilies, knitting doilies, crocheting, however you do a doily. I can see my mother doing that. Right. And so they love doing the doilies and they could be making different doilies. So the, the thing comes down to is if the word enthusiasm, enthus, the God within, right? when we're enthused about something, we're happy. We're ripping, energy is pouring through us, right? And on the enthusiasm, I-A-S-M, I am sold myself on the God within, all right? So when we're enthusiastic about something coming from our spirit, we know we're on track. So do I believe everybody has a talent, a gift to express to their highest fulfillment? Absolutely. No matter what it is, no matter what it is. And and the reason to do it is not for outcome. Difference between play and work, right? Play has no outcome. We just do it because it's darn fun, right? Outcome, we do the process for the outcome. So when we're doing something that really makes us happy, and we're really, we're going to put more energy into it, we're going to do it better than if we're doing it for outcome. So go find something you really hear. What we look for, let's get right back to astrology. And you know, astrology ties into so much stuff. Different planets rule different, has different functions. And I asked you, what does Venus rule? It rules love, right? Venus rules love, it rules fun, it rules pleasure, it rules enjoyment. There's all those wonderful things wrapped into it. There's a phrase, do what you love and the money will follow, right? And so going back to infinite intelligence, to tie this back to infinite intelligence, infinite intelligence wants to express through all of us. It wants to have 
wants our total fulfillment in the expression of its divine energy. So it figured out, this is my thinking, it figured out, well, if they're having a good time, they'll do it, right? Because it's fun. So infinite intelligence took the planet Venus and made Venus fun and said, okay, now we have, they're living on this material world, this dense world called Earth. How could I connect all of this stuff? Well, years ago, we used to barter. You know, I'll do your astrology chart if you give me some coin or whatever it might be, all right, to do that. But now we don't barter. We have this thing called money. Venus rules money. It rules the money. So when we're doing the things we love, we're closer to our money. And if we look at money, M-O-N-E-Y, my own natural energy yield. Is that something you came up with? So, yeah. So if you, if you look at that, if you look at that, my own natural energy yield, I think I took part of it from someplace and I put the whole thing together, right? And our energy yield is what we think, what we feel, what we speak, what we do. And if we're doing things with our heart, you know, if we're tending our garden and we're watering it with our emotions, if we're, if we're shining light down with our thoughts, if we're planting it in the soil of our soul, then it's going to grow. And that's what we have to do, is we have to just figure out how we function. And to me, astrology is like our roadmap, our script, our, 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 our treasure map, or call whatever you want, what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think that astrology can be used to help somebody identify their gift? Absolutely. Okay. I don't think I know. Okay. Yeah. And what are other ways that people can dis- discern that without using the tool of astrology that you're aware of? But just ask themselves, am I enjoying this? Hmm. Really, that's the, the planet Venus goes in there. And, and if you enjoy doing it, doing it. That's what I earlier I mentioned the term, the prison of false security, is that we do things, we go take jobs, and that's what we're talking about, career jobs, mm-hmm. right? We go because they're paying us, uh, you know, we're going to, I'm not, I don't want to depreciate anybody doing anything, but if we're not doing something that we're happy about, then you're in a prison of false security. Because what you're doing it for is the money, and, and if you were doing the things you loved, the money would be there. Now, I'm not idealistic in meaning that I'd love to play the guitar, so I'm going to go make some. I'm going to go make a fortune doing it because there's a lot of people doing that or not doing that. That doesn't have anything to do with the guitar. It has to do with uh, with my own energy yield. How am I thinking? How am I doing this? Am I really practicing? Am I really good? Am I really doing? We have to have input into this stuff. But if you look at this society, the people um, who make the most money, and verbiage, listen, the people who make the most money don't work. They play. They play music. They play, play, they play third bass. Nobody's ever said, I work the guitar, all right? or I work the horn, or I work third bass. Right or, or or And the other one is, I, I play roles in movies. I don't work the actor. You know, and even the people down on Wall Street, if they're really loving what they're doing, they play Monopoly with our money. Mm-hmm. Right. So you put play and money together, both ruled by Venus. 
So then money is not the root of all evil? No, not at all. Money is a, money is a necessity. Mm -hmm. If you look at money just from a practical point of view, a real practical point of view, there's breath and there's money. And what money is, is an exchange of energy. And why should you exchange money with someone? Because they're giving you a gift. And you, you, they might not need, you might be a hairdresser and, and, and they don't need their hair cut today, so what are you going to do? So I cut that person's hair and they gave me this note. If you look at money, it's just, a, it's an IOU and it's built on faith. You believe if I give you 10 bucks, you could go buy an ice cream cone with it or something. So, so I guess in, in conclusion, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, we're, yeah, it's almost three o'clock. Um, what, what would you like to tell me and anyone who's listening um, from the heart, from your experience, all these years of learning astrology and just living your life? Um, what would you like to give to me and to anyone who's listening um, that's helpful, that's practical, um, and that you haven't already mentioned? That, see, that's why I said earlier to open this up. You have great questions. I've done this with a lot. You have wonderful, insightful questions that have depth that other people don't have. They really don't. I mean, you have it. You have, this is your gift, all right? Here's what I'm going to say. Here's your homework to all that want to listen. Write down 20 things you really love about yourself, you really like about yourself, and start loving yourself more. Start appreciating yourself more. Start celebrating the, the gift that you are to this world, all right? It all starts from that. The whole thing comes from that. And what about all of the, the news that were fed, um, all the catastrophes, all the doom, all the gloom, all the suffering in the world? Um, how do you love the gift that you are and rest in that and not get caught up in all this other stuff? Well, a real quick answer is shut the stuff off. Don't listen to it, don't read it. We've been having the human condition um, being human, suffering seems to be part of it. It's part of our wake-up call. I talked in the Ace of Wands yeah. about the wake-up call. And the wake-up call is to, is to wake up to the fact that we really are. And here's, here's my, 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 my another bottom line, is that we really are spiritual beings having a human experience. And there's been suffering in this human experience to wake us up to that we're really spiritual beings. It's kind of like in a, in a circle to all of this stuff. And right now, because of the many, many ways that the media, this information gets to us, we think it's new. It's new to this age. It's not new to this age. There's been war since the beginning of time and all kinds of stuff. Shut it off. It doesn't have anything to do with you. You create the world that you want to live in. You create your three thank yous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't, don't look on the, on the internet for junk, turn the TVs off, and see how your life changes. I, I used to, when I was building, I used to read four newspapers every day. Right? It, was, it was the Wall Street Journal, the, the, the New York Times, the local St. Pete 
paper. This was in Florida, and USA Today, I think, was the fourth one. And when I, when I stopped building, I stopped reading newspapers. And I realized, you know what, my world got better. I, I didn't affect anything, nothing, you know, outside. They're still doing what they're doing. Um, and that we get trapped into, you and I had this conversation earlier, we get trapped in by the the insightfulness, not I-N-S-I-G-H-T, I-N-C-I-T-E, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right? And because we'll, we'll look at this stuff because then we're going to see what's wrong. Let's look at what's going on. Then they can sell more product. Mm-hmm. We, li- we really are living in a material world. We're spiritual beings in a material world. And if you're listening to this, then you are, your awareness, you have... You know, you've sought out things in different ways. The other stuff doesn't have anything to do with you. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Well, I enjoyed it. Uh, Just like I knew I would. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. All right. And thank you so much for listening. And um, please feel free to contact me at Catherine Long, C-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, Long, L-O-N-G, dot com. Um, email me, uh, call me, and uh, let me know if you have any suggestions uh, for guests, for topics, or if you have any uh, feedback for Brian. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day.